0: We want to take a second to thank you for supporting Womance by listening to our podcast. One great way that you can continue supporting us, including those listens, is hitting subscribe, telling a friend, leaving a review. That stuff all really matters.
1: Sharing it on your personal social media is another great way to spread the word about Womance. And another option for supporting us, if we may be so bold, is to recommend going to our Patreon, where you can donate as little as a dollar a month to help us spread the word of Woe. If you want to contribute more than a dollar a month which obviously no pressure whatever you've
0: got we are so appreciative to have but we have awesome gifts for you if you want a hand addressed letter from morgan and isabeau maybe with some special whoa stickers other merch
1: just uh, visit our patreon we are womance on patreon or is it patreon.com forward slash womance we would be very proud to call you one of our patrons
0: Isabeau. And I'm Morgan. And this is Womance.
1: A podcast about romance novels.
0: About dark
1: wintry nights. About taste and comfort. About party planning. About liking the cold.
0: About having sex standing up in public.
1: Frequently, this is a podcast about having sex standing up in public. <laughs> a surprising amount. A surprising amount. This is a podcast about having a rivalry with the local nice restaurant hostess. <laughs> a podcast about people who own DVDs of porn. <laughs> Most of all, it's about that first thing romance novels. And ourselves. This week Isabeau and I are stomping the ice off our snow boots and treading across the plush rug on an oak floor that is One Winter's Night by Brenda Jackson.
0: Yes. Westmoreland number 24 if you can believe it
1: I can <laughs> this book we decided to read this book because Isabel had a Westmoreland in her big box o manse and she wanted to read that one but then I was like well I've actually heard good things about this one so I want to read that one and so now we're reading that one mm-hmm. instead would you like me to read the back of the book yes please Riley Westmoreland never
0: mixes business with pleasure until he meets his company's gorgeous new party planner. But when he gets Alpha Blake into bed, he realizes one night will never be enough. That's when her past threatens to end their affair. So Riley does what any Westmoreland male would do. He vows to win her heart for
1: good. That's it. That's the whole kit and caboodle. Nice. Um, This book ticks a lot of boxes. It's a category romance from the Harlequin Desire line. We also haven't read like a cowboy e romance in a really long time, um, nor have we read like a contemporary cowboy western-ish i <laughs> novel in a long time. Have we ever read a contemporary western? No, we've only done historical
0: westerns. Yeah. No, that's a lie. One of our our first Nora Roberts was a Contempo. That's right. It felt historical to us because it took place in the very early 90s. And like (laughs) 1993 is a foreign country as far as I'm concerned.
1: When I was reading this book, I was imagining it taking place in 1993. But (laughs) it was in fact published in 2012. And I think that's interesting. Like it reads as like a very specific (laughs) I don't know what to say it reads as it reads as older than it is like I don't want to say dated
0: I think it's okay to say dated because it does feel dated in some ways and 2012 is now 10 years ago so there are some things I think what's interesting to me about it potentially feeling dated is that no one has cell phones and I know that Like, Mm. there's this thing where you shouldn't be hyper-specific in your literature so that it can have a longer life than you potentially imagine for it. That's why you, like, shouldn't use specific company names in case that company goes under and then you, like, accidentally date your book or whatever. But, like, cell phones in 2012, I think it's, like, fair to say that they weren't going anywhere, so it's weird that no one seems to have one.
1: But they do have DVDs, as you pointed out. (laughs) Which is actually a piece of technology that has become dated, especially in the pornography industry. And by 2012 was for sure already ultra. For sure. Yeah, thank you. I
0: When I read that it was a DVD, I was like, who the fuck in 2012 had a fucking DVD?
1: And a whole cabinet of them.
0: Right? Like that's like, that's why it felt so dated. Because it's like, I can imagine that in like a Michael Douglas movie.
1: You know, I think I hesitated to call it dated because I just feel like this book is written for its its particular audience, which is older than you and I, I think.
0: Yes, I think so too.
1: But you're right, like there is true evidence of datedness, whoopsie, bite, whoopsie daisies, things like that.
0: Where would you like to begin this conversation other than like this book feels strangely out of time?
1: Well, let's talk about, I think talking about it appearing strangely out of time is actually kind of a good way to talk about category romance and like reading romance that isn't necessarily for you, um, but perhaps finding pleasure in it. Can I talk about where I found pleasure in this reading?
0: Sure, please.
1: We've read a, a Brenda Jackson book previously, and it was in a lot of ways very different and in some really telling ways, nearly identical to this book. But it was definitely like a longer historic, historically inflected, like it starts in the 1950s, I think, and then goes up through the 90s. And so that has its like own charm. But this book was a little hard for me to settle into at first. But then I started to like notice how the dialogue, like I was, so one of the things that I found like a barrier to me enjoying this book is the specificity like oak cabinets like every room in riley westmoreland's house every detail of the decor is described to you every outfit that alpha our heroine wears is described to you um each sweater dress a snowflake And that tends to be a barrier for me. But then I started noticing how the dialogue was reminding me of something and I couldn't put my finger on it. And then I realized that it's very, like, soap opera-esque. And it reminded me specifically of Dynasty, which is a soap opera that communicates to, like, the hoi polloi, a life of luxury. And so, you know, I... This... A sound clip from Dynasty has been on my TikTok for you page a lot lately where um one of the main characters tells the other one like the champagne is burned and she says it must have been frozen in the bottle and it's like I I just feel like the one of the writers like had like fancy wine stuff for fancy people and found like champagne burned and was like we've got to we've got to incorporate this into the script and once i started reading it that way i was able to enjoy it it's not that I like particularly enjoy daytime soap operas but I think we've talked about this in the past with um Next Generation being the coziest of the Star Treks like there's something about that like soft warm lighting the saxophone solo just <laughs> kind of in the background that is um as a millennial a very nostalgic and comforting place to be it feels um
0: sepia toned and the pacing is slower and all the things that i don't know it's like coming home i guess in a kind of sense like that cozy feeling but also it's a little silly and always a little too earnest like it it like takes it to the other side of Ernest, where it's like it's in on its own joke. I found the specificity to be a real barrier as well, not the oak cabinets which <laughs> I thought you know fine i I like to be rooted in a setting, but the spec I like to know. That the appliances are stainless steel. I do, especially when someone's going to get, you know, pounded against it. I gotta know what I'm working with here. I found the specificity of the family uh, kind of, like, episodic in a way that was not for me. So I have this, this is in chapter one, Ramsey, which is one of the cousins Uh, had always wanted to be a sheep rancher and he'd gone to school to study agricultural economics. The only reason Ramsey had taken a CEO position at Blue Ridge Management after school instead of going into farming was to work alongside Dylan to keep the company afloat when their parents had died in a plane crash. That's one sentence. But once Ramsey and Dylan had made it into a million dollar company, Ramsey had turned full management of Blue Ridge over to Dylan to become a sheep rancher like he'd always wanted to be.
1: And that brings you up to date on that.
0: (laughs) Ramsey has one spoken line in this whole book and so the fact that we spend a two-sentence paragraph to be fair but two very long sentences on the fact that he wanted to be a sheep rancher (laughs) just like I wasn't precisely sure what to do with this and the thing that like kind of got under my uh, fingernail about it was that like this isn't how people think right right like when you're when you see your cousin you're not like oh cousin you wanted to be on the, on American Idol season 24 but you couldn't because you got that twisted ankle and the car and the Honda with that one you know like you aren't you're not constantly thinking of people you're in relation with in terms of their backstories and so the hyper the cozy third because this is a this is a very cuddly third would then like zoom way out on these backstories and it's like I know that I'm number 24 in a long dynastic sprawling family (laughs) but but I found it really hard to pay attention to Riley when Every one of his internal thoughts that wasn't about Alpha's, Alpha's body was about the backstories of his various cousins, brothers, and friends.
1: And there's not like a sense of Riley positioning himself in opposition to or accordance with those backstories. So it's not really a tool of developing Riley. None at all. If you're okay talking about Riley, sure.
0: <laughs> this is a good segue. First off, Riley. Great name. Super into it. Love the potential androgyny. Uh, none of that here. Uh, Riley is described as dangerously masculine, heart stoppingly virile. N-
1: smells male. Doesn't even smell masculine, smells male.
0: Yeah. And the way that Riley is described in the ways that we've just shared with you made Riley come across as um, very uh, reminiscent of shifter alphas and then alpha – the name of our heroine is also <laughs> kind of very shiftery, so like suddenly I'm in a space where I'm like I'm not in a shifter romance, but all of the descriptors of Riley feel very shiftery to me, and he doesn't have any internality. so one of the things that I found really hard about Riley is that I don't feel like I know anything valuable about him, um, and he feels very much like a caricature of a romance hero and that he's not fully fledged and that he remains a strange mystery even unto himself, right? Like he has these very specific rules about how he deals with women. One is that any affair can only last six weeks. After that, it's to the curb. And that you only have like a series of dates. You never talk about your lives. But he breaks his rules with Alpha. But the thing about his rule breaking with her is that he is never like self-reflective enough to be like, huh, I'm breaking all my rules with her. Why is that? Why do I feel different? It's mostly just like, and he broke his other rule. And then he broke this rule. To be so close to a character in Cuddly Third, a character who is so obtuse to themselves was a strangely uncomfortable experience.
1: You know, I didn't read it that way, I, as being, like, obtuse to himself. I read it as he is accepting <laughs> of what's happening. Like, he's he's not resistant. He is deeply not resistant. Which is an interesting choice, because usually if you're going to set up this type of feller, mm-hmm. he's going to be deeply resistant uh, to breaking his rules or whatever. I think 50 shades of gray came out in 2011. By 2012 we're also very much like deeper thicker romance fans are into the the shifter paradigm is is has been well and truly established. And this book kind of like you pointing that out makes me think like was this book kind of playing on the idea of like a transgressing like specific rules it's like a contract like he proposes an affair to her you know it's not like he's like hey let's bone but don't fall in love which is kind of the classic way of maneuvering this sort of relationship and so I wonder like I'm starting to feel like this is a book that is of a previous generation talking to its audience of a previous generation about the next wave. You know what I mean?
0: About a trend that's happening right now.
1: Yeah. and say, But like ascribing it in a way that is... Legible. Legible and like relatable. I think more than legible, like relatable. I can see
0: that. Like I can see that.
1: There is something very like family values about the use of the word male uh-huh. all the time.
0: It is a, It is a lot of male and female, which... Again, feels very distinctly shifter to me, rather than, like, regular category
1: romance. It felt more, like, gender essentialist. Very. To me. I did not think of shifters while I was reading this, even with the twins named Alpha and Omega. Mm. It didn't come up for me. But I think, like, what, what these kind of things that, like... I didn't really think much about the twin name except like, oh, that's funny. And like you've written 24 of these books, like have fun with your twin names. The like deeply male, 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 male. It reminded me, if anything, it was like reflective of like Highland romances and Mm, mm -hmm. Western classic historical Western romances where you've only been around like stuffy dandies your whole life now you're you're meeting the real deal in denver colorado yeah he rides a
0: horse drives a porsche and a truck
1: yeah (laughs) yeah like that's the idea like this is an incredibly like conservative book but it has this like idea of itself as Modern.
0: Yes.
1: And so I wonder if, like, yeah, there aren't specific, if it isn't specifically referencing, like, what was the burgeoning, or even in the case of shifter romances, I feel like established at that point trends in romance. Can you have an established trend?
0: Yeah, you can have an established trend and then the trend can, like, recede.
1: Aren't they, like, I don't know. I'm starting to hesitate there because I'm like, I feel like by their nature, they're flickering
0: <laughs> I think if it lasts for a longer than like four or five publication cycles you can call it a trend
1: but then it goes away because it's only a trend
0: yeah Riley feels very conservative to me but also just like <sighs> strangely inaccessible and I guess thinking about him in terms of even more than a regular romance hero archetype but thinking about him as like a category archetype so cowboy or Highlander that helps me billionaire billionaire even if he's not a billionaire I mean (laughs) Riley's station is a multi-million dollar operation part of the Blue Ridge management company so
1: (laughs) this like business (laughs) business business
0: business (laughs) stuff yeah I, I guess thinking about it in those terms helps me conceive of Riley it's interesting to me that I felt on the outside of Riley because in a lot of ways he he functions really well for the plot itself like he does the things that you want him to do right we we find out that alpha's twin sister omega has been uh, a porn star and that this has caused problems for alpha um, her parents want her to disown her sister, her former fiance wants her to disown her sister and she loves her sister so she doesn't do that and a former paramour of hers wanted her to be Omega in the bedroom and that's also not who she is and so Riley like the the setup here is that he's he, you know he, she doesn't tell him about her sister because they only have the six weeks affair why would she um, but that her expectation is that he won't handle it well because no one else in her life has handled the fact that her sister is a former porn star well and then of course he handles it like a gentleman and he's like I don't give a fuck (laughs) which should have endeared me to him but I just like I was so on the outs with him already that I was just like all right I'm glad that you handled that well. I'm glad that this isn't the thing that is the obstacle, that it was only the obstacle in Alpha's mind. But I found Alpha really likable and tenacious in her way, much more so than I found the uh, female character, the main female characters of The Ties That Bind, which I thought was really interesting because as a category, we don't spend as much time with Alpha as we did the other characters and the ties that bind. But there's something really enjoyable about how much Alpha loves her sister, the sister dynamic itself, and also her competence as a party planner and, like, you know, as someone who, who is endlessly fascinated by how people make party decisions like I really wanted to go to the party that she was throwing and the way that she like organized her work and moving to Denver to get a new start like I was really into alpha and I felt oftentimes like other than Riley's sexual
1: magnetism that she could have done better (laughs) I you know I don't know I think she I think she got herself quite a catch. I think there is something in this text that you're picking up on that resists the idea that the reader would identify with the you know I even hesitate to say male main character i I think he's a he's a hero right yeah resist the idea that you would identify with that hero and that the hero's function is to make you feel turned on, comforted, like he is this idealized, flattened dreamboat.
0: Yeah, he is so flat.
1: But Alpha is the, as you know, the one who wears the sweater dresses in the book. Mm -hmm. She's the one we're meant to like identify with and like follow her reasoning for the choices she makes and understand and like go through a little bit of personal growth. I mean, they're, they're both... One of the things that I think was striking about this novel, and before I forget it, I want to put a pin in event planning as a job in romance novels. Yep. For personal reasons, I would like to personally attack this. <laughs> yep, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> the I <laughs> The maneuver. I think – her relationship with her sister like she is a fully formed person what one of the things that struck me when I was reflecting on this text and like what I enjoyed about it is that I feel like it's a book written for an adult who understands themselves as an adult and who lives their lives as an adult Mm -hmm. not like an adulting right (laughs) which if I we read a lot of contemporary romances that are written by our contemporaries, right? Fellow millennials. And there's this, is it lack of seriousness? Like they just, the main characters don't take themselves very seriously, I don't think. I Maybe that's what's missing. Like I feel like Alpha and, and Riley, as little of, as we get about him, they both like know themselves and take themselves seriously and are making choices in a confident way
0: yeah that's a that's a really brilliant takeaway i i think that's exactly right like she's serious about her business he's extremely serious about his family and business and the book takes both of their professional lives very seriously yeah like there's no like oh shucks shrug shrug about either of it. Yeah, that's a really excellent point.
1: There's not this like kind of limp, you go girlness going on in this book.
0: Yeah. In fact, just the opposite. Like she goes to school to become a veterinarian and her at her parents like behest and wish and it's not what she wants to do. And we don't spend almost any time with that conversation. She just she's like, that wasn't my dream. And I stopped doing it.
1: It makes me think of Karina Longworth, who does, you must remember this, she's doing a series right now on erotics and not erotics, right? Not like Sontag, but like erotic cinema of the 80s. And eventually she's going to release her series on the 90s. And one of the things she bemoans is that there's not really like movies made for adults, right? Like Marvel movies are not really made for adults. That's like Movies that are made for adults usually get, like, a limited release on Netflix. They don't get a theatrical release. Whereas, like, in the 90s, in the 80s, movies were made for grown-ups. And I think, you know, I think there's a lot to be said about, like, the m- repeated traumas that millennials as a generation went through as they were growing up. And so why nostalgia and why a general lack of assurance <laughs> doesn't really exist for us. But I, I kind of, I agree, like, it doesn't really exist in movies very much anymore. But it for sure exists in, like, these writers who, like, Nora Roberts, like Brenda Jackson, who know what it's like to have that, I guess. Yeah, where it's
0: like, you leave, and she immediately, she leaves Florida for Denver, and she's able to buy a house and start a business. Yeah. And, like, that's not the trauma or the issue like she's just good at her job and she like is working the beat and like that's not the issue
1: <laughs> and the trauma and the issue is not even internal for either of the characters right it's dealing with and balancing the external choices of others like her sister's choice to work in pornography her parents choice to disown her right not disown her but
0: yeah they disown this sister
1: yeah. Well, in trying to get Alpha to join them in that. And, right. And, you know, it's not like Alpha has lost all relationship with her parents. It's just more difficult now. And, mm-hmm. you know, even like she hates the weather in Denver. There's not some big scene where she's <laughs> like utterly bereft in the snow. No. <laughs> and, and I think that was something I took a lot of pleasure in when I was reading this book because that kind of existence – it just sounds so nice. <laughs> Honestly, I think you've
0: really like you've really opened up a vein for me here—a mining vein, not like a <laughs> I hurt vein. Because, like, what you're saying there about like there isn't a big scene about like her like losing her boot in a snowdrift or something like that. It also reminds me of like the Debbie Maycomber that we read. A hundred percent, yeah. That that was a book who took. Its characters very seriously, and really cared about its characters. Like here is a book that also cares about the seriousness of these two characters. There's no self-deprecation. Oh my God. Like that's a- Not only is there no self-deprecation, but like, the deprecation is external and immediately shut down. God, you're right, there's no
1: self-deprecation. Imagine living in a world with no self. <laughs> so, We're like, that's not your default. That's not your default. There's no snark either. Mm -hmm. Wow. That wow. Okay. It's not that it's particularly sincere. It's just that it is what it is. Mm -hmm. Fascinating. I wonder if this is what it's like to grow up without like everything being a thing. Like is this (laughs) pre-tumblr like pre-hashtag where you didn't have to like sort your interests? It isn't, right? Like, it's not published in that time frame, but this author
0: certainly is. Yeah, and our characters are. Yeah, that's interesting.
1: I love that you pointed out Debbie Maycomer because I also thought of her. This kind of setting, this kind of dialogue feels very like grocery store romance, which we actually, I mean, I, I feel like that sounds disparaging, but is actually very lovable, very easy to love. And I was like, this is definitely sexier than Debbie Maycomber. This book has a lot of on-page sex. Yes. But there's also something about another difference. And I think this is kind of where that like being a modern book versus traditional ideals, we can kind of see like the slippage in the ideology of this book, and that's the the porn DVD. Mm-hmm. If you haven't listened to our episode on Ties That Bind, there's a villain in that book, and she actually gets quite a few sex scenes um, where she is receiving oral sex, and I think she's the only character in the book who does that. Um, and... She is very sexually liberated compared to all of the other um, female main characters in that book. Our villain, air quotes, it's like a soft villain, right? Our, pro- our troublemaker, at least, is the host at the local nice restaurant that used to have a thing for Riley and has since moved on. And she's a little jealous, of Riley giving his attentions to Alpha because Riley is a very eligible bachelor. I don't know if you've heard about the Oak cabinets, but they are custom and he has two entertainment rooms and he has a fireplace in every bedroom. Like he is a capital
0: C catch.
1: Something for everybody in that house. He has a big kitchen. Most men wouldn't have that. <laughs> like these are the kinds of like little like conservative values that like pop up here. You know, the book is very supportive of Omega, and Omega gets a beautiful life. Her parents don't speak to her, but her sister loves her. Her husband loves her. She's gonna have a baby at the end. She gets to travel to New York City and go on shopping sprees. Like, Omega is not being punished, really. It is definitely portrayed as a loss to the other people who choose to cut her out because of her choices. So, Omega, for the record, And I think it's actually important to know is a progressive characterization compared to like the rest of the text. Although maybe I want to go back on that. Our troublemaker shows up at Riley's doorstep and she shares that she's been dating a man. And Riley is like in his head is like, I'm not surprised that she's with this guy because this guy likes real freaky sex, like group sex is the... (laughs) example and i guess group sex not what you're going to find on hinge right away <laughs> and he has also heard rumors um about his cabinet full of pornography dvds and our troublemaker says that she is looking for a movie to enjoy with her lover and this is kind of like riley's a little like oh brother about that whole thing you know and then she says, like, I found this and thought it would be interesting. And it's got a picture of Omega on the cover totally naked on, like, a four-poster bed or something. <laughs> <laughs> and, and she is accusing Alpha of, of being a porn actress. While Omega gets forgiven for being a porn actress, our troublemaker is villainized for consuming porn. Not only consuming
0: porn, but like for wearing a short sweater dress, for being sexually liberated. Yeah. Yeah. No, she's, she's villainized. Like Paula is definitely not someone that you take home to your sprawling ranch family.
1: No, to your cousin who wanted to be a sheep farmer but no. then decided to be a CEO to keep the family together and has finally gotten a chance to go to Australia <laughs> to, be to learn sheep how to farmer. be a sheep farmer and is now farming sheep. Yeah, he's not, he doesn't want to meet Paula. Paula's too freaky for Ramsey. Like, it's just, it's just not the type that you would bring home
0: to Ramsey or Dylan.
1: No, certainly not. Maybe the younger brother who's a little rapscallion Bane. Bane. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> who's in the marines because he got his heart broke by a woman uh, a woman who was 16 i think yeah when he was 20 also <laughs> not enough is made enough not enough was made of that age difference on Riley's part. Maybe that's another reason why I don't like Riley that much where he's like bang got his heart broke because her father sent her away and I was like she you just said
1: that he was 4 years older than her and she was 16. So that's the thing. It's like this book has some suggestions of understanding like this is what the world is like. We forgive porn stars. <laughs> But like doesn't really understand the whys and wherefores. And we can see that it doesn't because it wants to punish someone for watching porn. And then also is supportive of a 20-year-old who was porking a 16-year-old in a shack on the family for like a year. And then is mad at the dad. No, he watched him cry about it afterwards. He didn't watch him have sex with the 16-year-old. He
0: he saw him howling in agony, and that's when he created... Riley created the rules of only having six-week affairs with women. But the other thing about that is, like, Bane is a much younger brother. Like, he's 20. Riley sees him screaming in the shed on the property when he's 26. And I'm like, you're watching your baby brother lose his shit over someone that he loved. Fine. I'm gonna, like gloss over this age difference and the fact that I totally agree with this dad sending this young woman away. But, like, that's the moment that you decide, like, no woman will ever do this to me. (laughs) You're 26.
1: Too little, too late. You can only howl in agony up to age 20. But, I mean, you
0: can only witness someone howling in agony. I, like, you know what I mean? Where it's just, like, you've... How is it that you've never encountered a relationship that like or that you've what is your life that only upon (laughs) witnessing your baby brother howling in agony that you're like that's not for me like it just it it felt like Riley feels strangely obtuse to himself or like even like in this moment which is supposed to be like this relevatory thing about him he feels like really immature to me
1: yeah that's a really good point. Like, I think it's supposed to be stoicism, but right. If you poke it a little and nudge it to the side, it's almost like, um, yeah, it's almost like immaturity.
0: Yeah, and so in that way, like the fact that Bane was hurt and like, I, like had access to his emotions, like that's the thing. It's like you did, yeah, exactly. His stoicism is portrayed as like part of his like capital M maleness and like that it should be attractive to me yeah but what it just reads as is like someone who doesn't know themselves very well and doesn't have access to the full range of their humanness and like that's Mm. that's not particularly attractive to me no (laughs) and it was weird to see that portrayed not only heroically but also understandingly and like somehow like charmingly and like that as you said like that's where the slippage comes in where it's like it's okay if you choose to be a porn star but if you consume porn that's the problem because like if we all just stopped consuming porn then there'd be no porn right and like right that feels like such a weird argument to have in this book
1: and i don't think it it is making that argument like i don't think it's that maybe it's not that deep but it's there like that's the like the natural progression of this line of characterization i (laughs) i think there's also something riley is built to be this like you said archetypal romance hero but maybe there's just something like there are parts of this book that i feel are just a little bit half-baked especially for number 21 in a series for example the book is set in denver which is a major city. Mm -hmm. And at one point, (laughs) Alpha says, I've been taking dance classes at the high school. The high school. I am going to Google real quick how many high schools there are in Denver. (laughs) I'm so
0: glad that you're bringing this up.
1: 57! 57 high schools, public. Those are just the public schools. (laughs)
0: the thing that showed me how uh that we were actually in a small town and not in denver no matter how many times everybody said that we were in denver is when riley's like i want to take you to this new restaurant it's really fancy it just opened by the airport and i was like in no (laughs) i'm like in no fucking hell is the nice fancy fresh French restaurant opening by the airport. The Denver airport, yeah. famously haunted and like a demonic, satanic temple. Very funny. Google that if you never have. Um, but also is like miles out of Denver's <laughs> downtown. Like most major <laughs> metro Get airports.
1: grip. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's like the nicest restaurant that's going to open by the Denver airport is the Cheesecake Factory.
1: Like, come on. but then the book also has the progressive idea of like i'm going to very much enjoy these snails it's like open-minded in the like that's true (laughs) it is (laughs) in like ways that i think are actually good like if this book were a person i'd be like they're gonna be fine because they're you know trying things out they're viewing things from another perspective but it's still not quite there you know like it's so much of a of a ba it's so much of a baby boomer <laughs> yes
0: but like a baby boomer who's like going on trips and like is excited to learn
1: and like when they go to his favorite restaurant <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: i could just see the salad plate yep that looks like frosted petals Yep. Like a cabbage, like a glass cabbage opening up to you <laughs> <laughs> with a very cold metal ramekin of ranch or Dorothy Lynch on the side <laughs> and three whole grape tomatoes. It is a delicious salad.
0: And that plate is, you know, aesthetically pleasing.
1: And there's this story in this book that like, this is luxury. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the high life. And I think there's something, there is fantasy building in that. Yeah. I think, oh my gosh, I think romance is really interesting because of many numerous things. Go back and listen to our whole (laughs) back catalog. But something new that I think I've realized about romance just now in this conversation is that sci-fi and horror they put their whole pussy into world building your ability to create a believable world is what's crucial romance puts its whole pussy into fantasy building <laughs> and sometimes the fantasy is just that like you've got it made like you've got a restaurant that does chicken fried steak yeah and a burger really well baby you're set granite countertops stainless steel appliances and oak cabinets that feels accessible that's something you can go and touch in a home depot you know it feels just the right amount of aspirational like the chip and joanna gaines kind yeah and there's no gatekeeping like there's nothing behind the gate there's just the denver high school yeah there's not this whole other archaic system to be navigated between your public and private high schools based on the daycare that you get your child into initially. And no big deal, but this will determine where they go to college and eventually find a career because we've created shoots and ladders out of an education system. You don't have to worry about that because you're in Your small town is just like Denver, essentially. Yeah,
0: right. And like, you know, the person who makes the consistently good chicken fried steak, and you know the backstory of how like his dad wouldn't let him change the menu, and he had to go away to like the Art Institute of Cooking and then like wait for his dad to have a heart attack so he could inherit the restaurant and like turn it around. Yeah. And it's like, you know, these stories. And that's part of the fantasy too, right? Where it's like all of these backstories are so accessible. They come up like slides in a deck in Riley's internality. Yeah. Which I found annoying because they function as Riley's personality. But like maybe part of the fantasy is that you're so plugged into your community that you're constantly like wanting to show your community off to the stranger who is like the third person omniscient that you're narrating for.
1: But also that like... All of the problems, like, every story Riley tells has already had a happily ever after. That's absolutely true. And every aspect of the community, like, there is no greater community complexity. Right. Beyond these individual stories. No, it's
0: like the whole world is this small town of Denver, which is essentially Mayberry.
1: (laughs) Yeah. It's like, what is the purpose of shrinking Denver? Setting a book in Denver and then shrinking it? Because you can set a series in, if you want to choose a real town, there's tons of tiny little towns in the mountains of Colorado. No prob. Why would you take Denver and shrink it? It's because Denver sounds like making it. Mm Mm-hmm because it's a city and if he's being successful in Denver is essentially being a billionaire hero but Denver is like most big cities is like complicated and unappealing and overwhelming but shrunk in Denver now that's that's easy enough to show people around in don't worry about the lizard people at the airport right don't worry about the lizard don't mind the lizard people <laughs> Uh, <laughs>
0: you just made me think of um I don't know if you've ever seen the Unsinkable Molly Brown uh movie musical with uh Debbie Reynolds. No. It's it's very good. It's it's a musical biography of Molly Brown. Who famously didn't die on the Titanic, but also famously married a miner in Colorado. And she's new money and she's trying to break in and like she wants a big house in Denver. There's actually a museum of her house there now. But there's this awful scene in the movie where she's wearing this like garish, loud red dress and she like shows up to this old money party that she has been deliberately not invited to. And she just like has this sort of like, oh, I know it got lost in the mail. And she like believes that. Uh-huh. And it's only through like the mechan like the machinations of the party going on that she realizes that she was indeed left off the list on purpose. Oh. And there's this moment where you just watch Debbie Reynolds' face fall with this knowledge, and then you just feel her, like, like, and then she just, like, rises out of the ashes of that humiliation and, like, hardens her spine. That description, like, that doesn't need to happen in this fantasy of Denver. And it's, like... You're so right to say, like, they've just, like, this book has really shrunk Denver to its most accessible, but most fantastic, where it's like, everybody's trying to do their best, which why our soft villain, as you so beautifully put it, Paula, she's not even really villainous, she's just sort of a, she's just a shitster, and, like, doesn't every town have a shitster? And, like, yeah. it's conceivable to me that in this sprawling, multi-epic volume of Westmoreland's that... Paula, too, could find her own and be redeemed from her crazy sexual exploits by a different Westmoreland, you know, Um, because like no one in this fantasy version of Denver is beyond saving, not even Paula.
1: No, when they have a Westmoreland to do it. So what is your sexiest part? My sexiest
0: part was the fancy (laughs) restaurant.
1: (laughs) <laughs> by the airport by the oh, airport okay. uh, to make sure we were talking about the same fancy restaurant yeah
0: and he gets them a private room which i was like that's weird
1: and then the french server locks the
0: door very weird I was like I don't like any of this but then it's like and then like music turns on and like he's dancing with her and I was like oh this is actually like very sexy and like thoughtful and like you know whatever and then it just turns into like this wild totally unexpected yeah sex campaign and I was like where the fuck did this come from um but I was not not into it how do I want to say this? Uh he continues dancing with her while her legs are wrapped around him and he is inside of her and the fact that he was still able to dance and yeah. pleasure her. I was like, I don't know the <laughs> physics of this, but I am into the idea of it. I found that like hilariously sexy. This can only ha- or like this only happens in books like this and like I haven't had such an unexpected yeah pleasure like that in a while where like it really felt like it came directly out of left field I didn't see it in my periphery it just hit me across the face and I was like oh (laughs) not where I thought I was but I'm not unhappy to be here uh what was your sexiest part Morgan
1: from that point which is the first like sex sex scene from that point forward there's a lot of sex scenes The one that stands out in my mind is the final lovemaking scene before the big party. Alpha doesn't realize that Riley has found out about Omega and wants to talk to her about Omega. Mm -hmm. She thinks he's come over to her house to talk about breaking up with her. And as a reader, you also, you know that he knows. And so when he... Decides to drop the topic of conversation and have sex with Alpha instead. I was like, oh, like that's kind of the benefit of having like um, an opaque main character is that you can be surprised by them as a reader. And it was like, oh, he's not actually that upset about this. And that was legible through like the tenderness of the lovemaking. That was just nice. Yeah. (sighs) So this is kind of a weirdest part in romance in general, but it's also in this romance. And it's event planner as a job, <laughs> it's everywhere. And like, I think this is so typical. Like every job that looks glamorous isn't actually glamorous. Having to read about someone just getting like a carte blanche budget and <laughs> getting to create this like completely fantastical... Like, there's fake snow at the end of their black tie event, mm-hmm. and it's totally fine. They reconcile asking their employees to go to a black tie event because it's a special occasion for everybody, which, in actuality, usually when companies make parties black tie events, it's because they want to exclude certain kinds of employees. Right. <laughs> you know, it's more of that fantasy stuff. The fantasy of an event planner, I guess, is that you get get to like pick out invitation paper and things like that you know yeah of course that's not what it is because when you're an event planner you plan events for other people and they have the fantasy of being the event planner so they want to pick out the paper like no one lets you pick out the paper uh I said this once I said it again this uh you know it's mostly porta potties it's mostly like basically being a mini city planner. <laughs> For, like, a four-hour thing, mm-hmm. you create a community that exists in this finite period of time. And you have to make sure everyone in that community is fed and diapered and hydrated and just the right amount of drunk mm-hmm. and also has a name badge. Like, <laughs> it's the fantasy, I think, of event planning is selfish service. mm and I wish any job like that existed. Any job. Mm-hmm. I wish I could get paid for selfish service, where I just gifted people with my opinions <laughs> all day long.
0: That's why we do this.
1: I think it's also a way of maybe being like a little trad wifey.
0: Yeah, totally.
1: Because I think the fantasy of an event planner is like you're essentially being a homemaker. Yeah. And... That's not what it is. I mean, I guess it is, but it's as bad as being a homemaker.
0: Yeah, I, I would throw cupcake baker into this category as well. I think you're absolutely right to say, like, it's trad wifey. It's, like, hyper feminine. Like, yeah. never met a hero who is a cupcake baker or uh, an event planner.
1: Or if we did, it'd be like, oh, my God, can you believe it?
0: Yeah, totally. It's
1: because he grew up with sisters. Yeah,
0: or a single mom. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah, it's a way of like, having it's a way of expressing femininity while still having this veneer of independence. And I don't know like what's lost or gained by lying to people about what this job is like. It it doesn't feel right anymore. And it could be like my own hyper personal experience. But I'm starting to get a little skeeved out. By the same jobs popping up in contemporary romances over and over again. Or in historical romances, they're all journalists.
0: I prefer journalist, or I, I always love it, especially when it's also scientist where it's just like science.
1: The nice thing about having a historical scientist is that you don't actually have to know anything about science.
0: It's so true. It's like <laughs> that is literally all the fantasy of science. Um, I love the journalist scientists but like the work that it's doing right is this is a half-baked idea that I'm having right now so it's not going to come out clean okay but the reason why I think we're seeing so many lady scientists and lady journalists in contemporary written historicals right now is because it's in conversation or in conflict with the backlash of the trad wife Chip and Joanna Gaines cupcake baker, event planner. Like, this is how to be feminine and ambitious in a space that's non-threatening to traditional maleness. And so if we put journalists and scientists in the historical context, then they're also always suffragettes who are fighting the fight of being human beings. But that's all just an allegory for the thing that we're going through right now. And so again, half-baked idea, but I think, like, that's where I'm seeing this kind of, like, the watershed break, is along these two lines. Which way the water breaks on either side of this divide is, like, what Mm -hmm. conversation you're having about femininity, and, like, what kind of conversation you're having about the broader culture. And, like, the parts of this book that you and I find fun and fantastic are also parts that are traditional, but, like, not necessarily the trappings of conservatism (laughs) and the parts that kind of like like on on our ears are are the parts that are conservative and not necessarily traditional right like they they smack of ideology Mm. i don't think this book is functioning in reaction to something i think it like just kind of exists I don't, like, I don't feel like it's trying to have a fight with me, whereas a lot of the contemporary written historicals I, are trying to have a fight with culture right now, and they're doing it through the allegory of she's a journalist who can't vote. And like that's somehow like a, a brave conversation about like the fact that we don't have childcare or maternity leave. Or I think it's trying. I think you're for sure right. Like that is the conversation that that kind of heroine is speaking into.
1: to maybe kind of like help like stuff this this bird is both of those archetypes are understood as empowered by their author. Yes. And I think that's important, is that no one thinks that like what they're doing is is meaningless, right? Right. Like, no one thinks they're regressive. What frustrates me about the journalist suffragette archetype is that in the allegory, the teeth are lost. And it seems to really think that it's doing something sharp, but, like, everybody's doing it. Mm-hmm. When we read, um, what was it called? The Blank of Love... The Craft of Love. So we had two artisans who are thinking specifically about labor and industrialization. And because they are plugged in in that way, they are having a conversation that has like real teeth, that has like a real grip on what my day-to-day life is like and what I struggle with. Whereas I feel like the journalist suffragette is just like rights for women and it's like okay what like what rights matter like your your right to vote seems very important to you what comes but like it's what comes next that is the the fresh heartbreak like reading about a suffragette journalist feels good because you know that she's going to get the right to vote mhm reading about a woman who is in a factory during world war 2 would be less fun because you know that she's going to lose her job yeah. when the men come home and
0: And she'll lose her federally subsidized childcare that she has access to.
1: Yeah. She'll lose rights. She'll lose. She's gonna rights. stop using she's gonna start losing rights, right? Like it's less fun to read about post voting ratification. Cause we get rights, right, and then they take them away again. But we haven't lost the right to vote.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it feels like almost too optimistic to be like a a real critique of anything. That feels very dark, but it also feels like I just spoke a truth about myself and how I'm feeling.
0: I think that's right. And I think the fact that we had to back into this conversation or this critique through the lens of the empowered event planner as like a commentary <laughs> of feminized work that is fantasy that is that is made fantastical i think is also yeah the right way to get to it empowerment that is in a
1: designated lane
0: right empowerment that is in a designated therefore safe lane
1: romance is inherently undermining any patriarchal ideas romance for especially hetero romance uh has to function on the idea that you're going to contractually agree to die with somebody of the opposite sex at the more empowered sex. Yep. It's a, it's an interesting thing to yoke yourself to in the 21st century. It is. And it, the, the fantasy is that
0: the power dynamic between the two individuals in the relationship is one of equity and dynamic consent that's like constantly in conversation and like somehow that shields the relationship from the larger tides and buffets of patriarchy and the pyrodynamics that we currently find ourselves in and then like and 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 to like say that a relationship can do that is like it's wild And, like, that's, like, what the read romance, fight patriarchy bumper stickers, like, trying to invite you into. But it's, like, that's that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works.
1: I think one of my greatest fears is that we only have what has been given to us and not what we've taken. Things that are given can be taken back. And I think that seems... I don't know that seems to be lacking yeah it's like he for example riley right is treating alpha reasonably when he finds out about omega like he's wants to talk to her about it and he makes no assumptions right and that to us is supposed to read like wow what a man But in fact, that's basic (laughs) human decency, right? And that in fact,
0: it is her hesitation and the fact that she didn't even lie about her sister, but that she
1: obfuscated—not even obfuscated. She just didn't talk about it with a guy she was gonna only boink for six weeks.
0: Exactly, like like the whole obstacle in this is like you didn't tell me, and like you didn't trust me enough, and it's like you had agreed to a sexual relationship. For a month and a half, why did she have to tell you that her parents are trying to force an estrangement between herself and her twin sister? Like, what? why do you feel, Riley, that you deserve that trust? Like, what have you done to earn that? And like, the fact that this book is like, besides being like, I told you about
1: my cousin with the sheep farm
0: (laughs) and my baby brother, (laughs) Bane, who definitely was having sex with a minor.
1: Yeah. Uh, but we both agree that's chill (laughs) there is about when alpha is reflecting on how they got into this miscommunication she takes responsibility for it because she thought he was going to break up with her so she decided to have sex insist on having sex instead and she's reflecting on it and she says had she let him have his way none of this would have happened
0: Tell me again that all romance is feminist,
1: you know, like <laughs> they're just a there's not parody here, no, <laughs> there's not, having said all of that, what's your weirdest part <laughs> <laughs> I mean, all of this is my weirdest part,
0: oh, uh, um, I guess to take us a little bit out of the uh serious situation that we found ourselves in as a person who. Got my driver's license on a snow day. I was shocked, I tell you, shocked that Riley was driving a Porsche in December in Colorado without snow tires or chains in his trunk and with such low ground clearance. Like, there's no way that that car is getting out of the garage with the amount of snow that this book talked about being on the ground.
1: Yeah. Also, like, I don't think you can put chains on Porsche tires.
0: I don't think you can either. I think you're absolutely right, and I just showed my own ignorance about luxury cars. But my point—they just seem
1: like I'm just picturing it. I have no idea. I'm trying to picture it though, and I feel like it would just like tear up the yeah axles yeah. For absolutely sure. It would, when, for or sure or something.
0: The point is that that car wouldn't have gotten out of the garage because <laughs> there's not enough ground clearance for it much to less get
1: all the way to a restaurant near the, the airport. airport. <laughs> It's just not feasible. <laughs> yeah. And I want to tell Riley, like, Riley, you don't have to impress her with your Porsche. You have already impressed her with your quote unquote pleasure games. Just with your
0: penis. Yeah.
1: You're fine. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She's she's looking at his cock on rock through his pants at every lunch they go
0: on. <laughs> so true. She's just constantly eyeballing his dick and balls.
1: And he is constantly, like, fully bricked up. (laughs) Beneath that salad plate that I described earlier is just a full-blown erection.
0: I would like to make a request that you only refer to erections
1: as being fully bricked up (laughs) from now into New Year's. Okay. I'll, I, that actually seems like a reasonable goal. Thank you. I'll try I, to incorporate it into our Pride and Prejudice read-along, in which we will inevitably do encounter please many do. erections.
0: That is the best thing that
1: I've ever heard. Fully bricked <laughs> up. I'm so glad I can charm you with slang.
0: But it's also true because this book describes his penis just like a fucking full-on brick.
1: It's just
0: yeah, it's just constantly like, I mean, puts her full weight on it. They're still dancing, like (laughs) (laughs) very strong beat.
1: (laughs) Oh my gosh! All right, romance, romance or no romance uh this wasn't for me so I'm gonna go ahead and say no man's I would say this is not for me but I know exactly who it is for and actually I got quite a bit out of it and so I'm gonna say it's a whoa but I don't think I've ever known a category romance I probably have oh that like threads one the one where she ended up with her
0: brother's father-in-law
1: but that was British it doesn't yeah, count. Was-
0: That was wild.
1: Uh, But yeah, I think this is a woe. But am I like saying this specifically or am I saying something like this? Like I don't have any other recommendations for something like this, so I'm going to say this is a woe. With that. (laughs) Loosen your stays. But never your principles. Mm -hmm. whoa ly guacamole, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of Womance.
0: Womans is hosted, produced, and edited by my friend
1: Morgan. And by my friend Isabel. Our logo artwork is by another friend, Mary Reichman. You can find her on Instagram at m.reichman, spelled R-E-I-S-C-H-M-A-N-N.
0: Original music by Nick Gravlin. And our webmistress is Jane Bonsack. They're the best.
1: You're also the best. We so appreciate your support by listening please consider taking this to the next level by following, rating, and reviewing. We read every single review. Or even check us out on Patreon.
0: If you'd like more Woe in your life, you can connect with us on Instagram at womance and on Twitter where we are at Mance underscore Woe. Or you can find more episodes and content at WoeMancePodcast.com.
1: If you have an idea or just want to reach out, please email mail at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you.
0: Romance is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts to add to your romance collection at frolic.media backslash podcasts. Until next time.